Hi, my name is Randy Smallwood. I'm President Chief Executive Officer of Wheaton Precious Metals. I'm also the Chair of the World Gold Council, and so pleased to be here today to uh, tell you a little bit about uh, Wheaton Precious Metals. Uh, we created the streaming business model close to 20 years ago. 2024 will be our 20th year, so we've got 19 years of history. Uh, as an alternative form of finance in terms of investing into the mining space and, and what we actually deliver to our shareholders is very profitable uh, precious metals production that has fixed costs and so very little cost risk. And so it's an it's incredibly attractive, low-risk way to invest into the, the mining industry and for us, the precious metals industry. So looking forward to this. Randy, good seeing you. Welcome to London. Matt, always a pleasure. I say welcome, welcome to London. You've been on kind of world tour for the last three weeks. It's, uh, how's it going? I love it. Uh, I actually own in London now, so I've even got a, a place to stay over here whenever I come over now. So. Very good. Yeah. And so you're, you're obviously on, on the road meeting institutional investors and telling a story. Um, what's the feedback been? What's the pushback been? Well, there's elevated interest in gold. As you, as you look around the world, you can see all sorts of reasons as to why we've got elevated interest in gold. Um, and we are seeing that at the institutional level. When we go into the fund managers, I have to say, for the last couple of years, COVID kind of messed with that. But but we haven't seen the same level of interest as we have here recently. We've seen a pickup. We're starting to see four or five, six people at the meetings versus the one or two uh, gold believers that, that have always uh, been present at pretty well every investment fund out there. So. So we are seeing elevated interest, uh, a big appetite. We've had full days of meetings, uh, multiple days. I think we've hit about seven different cities across the continent of Europe. And, uh, and now here, uh, uh, this is day number four in London over the last three weeks. Right. So you're, you're going to head that, head that up with all the reasons uh, to believe why there's still growth in this story. $20 billion company is is something else. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it gets harder and harder to keep that growth profile, right? So what, what are the kind of factors that you point to, to those fund managers said, look, we're still a growth story. There's a long ways to go. And, and what's the feedback been on that? Well, it's, uh, we're at an incredibly exciting time for week. Uh, this year we produced about 630,000 gold equivalent ounces. Our current portfolio organically within the next five years, by 2027, we'll be at 970,000 gold equivalent ounces. So we have 50% growth for a company. $20 billion market cap to have a 50% growth profile in the industry. There's no companies like it in the space, in the precious metal space, in the mining space as a whole. To have that kind of an elevated, that size of a company and then that strong growth profile. So it's it's uh, probably the company I would say is not only the strongest it's ever been, but I am the most excited about what we have in our near-term future, just in terms of some of the investments. We've been very busy making acquisitions in the last couple of years, made over 10 more. We've made 10 acquisitions over the last two and a half years. And that's all, along with organic growth that are existing asset base, that's all going to deliver 50% growth over the next five years. Right. So let's look at the organic components um, and where the bulk of that revenue comes. You've got a couple of big big projects in there, North America and South America, and focus predominantly, mm -hmm. exclusively. Um, what tell us tell us about that that kind of that breakdown that that that, that um that, of the different investments yeah, you have made there yeah sure uh, so Lobo of Orsa it's owned by Vale it's, a, it's one of the richest copper mines in the world but it also produces a very healthy byproduct metal core byproduct in gold mm -hmm. so we have a streaming contract where we get seventy five percent of whatever gold is produced at Salobo on a go forward basis and, and it's uh you know. It, it delivers on the order of 200 to 300,000 ounces a year. Well, what's particularly exciting is that they're just starting up their third phase this year. They turned on the switches on a 50% increase in throughput capacity, 
And so we're going to see definite growth from Sonogo as it goes forward over the next few years as they ramp up line three, their third phase, uh, third expansion and start increasing their own metal production going forward. So we're going to see a definite uptick there. Mm -hmm. But even beyond Salobo, the Penisquito mine in Mexico, uh, owned and operated by Newmont, the the Antonina mine in Peru, owned and operated by a, a conglomerate of country, uh, companies, but Glencore's in there. We we have uh, we get silver from, from Glencore's interest in the Antonina mine. All of these mines have growth in terms of either higher grades coming in their mine plan going forward or shifts in terms of the mine plan moving in pit crushes to access air grade material. Um, and so, you know, two thirds of that growth is actually coming from existing operations as they ramp up their production levels through expansions or grade scheduling and, and such. And so, and then the other third is coming from what we call Greenfields assets, which is new mine construction. We've got the Blackwater project in British Columbia that's moving into construction. It's well in the construction already. We've started funding that. And and we've also got the Goose Project up in northern Canada and Nunavut in, in northern Canada. The B2 Gold is is building and we're funding, we're co-funding on that. So again, very exciting times. Exciting times for sure, but it's sort of uncertain times as well in the marketplace. And there's opportunities and there are threats in there. And I'm, I'm intrigued as to how you and the board think about that and taking advantage of the situation. You're sitting on Big cash reserves at, at the moment. You paid down. Well, I, I don't any debt. No debt at all. We have, we have an so this now. We have a debt for a year and a half now. We're right. generating close to a billion dollars a year again. Just well, you know, uh, and in fact, with this growth, we'll be climbing over a billion dollars a year of cash flow. My biggest challenge is how do we keep on putting the money back into the ground effectively and accretive? And that's one of the key things. Accretively, there's lots of opportunities to invest in the mining space. The challenge is picking the right ones and avoiding the wrong ones. And so, uh, you know, we Wheaton, we have a reputation. It helps that my background, I'm a geological engineer. So I come from the technical side. So I understand how important that is, that that we focus on good quality assets. And so we've got 93% of our current production comes from the bottom half of the respective cost curve. And that's the most important metric in our eyes in terms of is a mine investable or is not. How profitable is that mine to the operating company? If we're not the operator, we're only 41 people in our company, $40 billion company with only 41 employees. We don't operate the lines. So we have to rely on these mines being very profitable for the operators so that we will get our share of the metal asset metals can be produced. Right, so let's look at that kind of that kind of blended portfolio of yours. You, you talked about, you know, being in the, the, the bottom part. Bottom two quartiles, so the bottom half of the respective cost curves, yeah. Which is great, and that's, that's coming from, you know, a, a handful of projects of yours, is that right? Well, so yeah, let me elaborate on that a bit. Okay, so, so uh, we get gold from copper mines. We get silver from lead zinc pockets. We get gold from net. Well, yeah, so we're purchasing non-core byproducts from these base metal mines. So while I'm looking at a copper mine, one of the most important criteria is where does that copper mine fit for the operator in the worldwide copper prospect? So we're looking at the entire world of copper production. And we want to make sure that that mine is one of the most profitable of the copper mines out there. So our focus is the bottom half of that respective copper cost curve. Even though we're not getting copper, we're getting gold as a byproduct from that copper mine. What's important to us is that the operator is very profitable at its mine. Because if he's profitable, it's going to continue to reinvest into that mine. It's going to focus on exploration. It's going to focus on expansions. And that's the key thing. So uh, for us, I think we have 19 mines that are delivering us metal right now. We have another... 15 development projects at various stages in terms of going forward. And for us to have 
92% of that blockchain, again, we argue it's probably the strongest portfolio of mining assets in the entire mining space. Right, you talk about being geologists helping you sort of um, look at, uh, analyze, and understand some of these projects. Right. I say companies as a whole, but pro projects, you do streams on, on projects specifically. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's helpful. But we've seen a very different market over the past three years. We've seen kind of COVID hit hit costs. We've seen mm -hmm. inflation go through the roof, and we see it. We're still sticking with us on, on, on several great times, times to be in the gold industry. It's a good, <laughs> anytime it's bad, it's good to be in the gold industry. It is. Come on, to that. I want to walk around there. But I'm saying, but has has that changed your thinking in terms of you know you, you talk about um, you know b bottom half type um, cost yeah. of, of projects, brilliant. Because there are also marginal projects out there looking for alternative financing. Clearly, it would be tempting to kind of leap in there and take a take a take a chunk of that. But you're less certain these days, it would seem, of their ability to even um, get through the kind of capital raising phase, right? Right. right. Uh, and get into production and be able to do it with the margins that they perhaps would have three years ago. Right. Right. So gold's gone on tear. It's interesting. Two thousand or nearest down at two thousand, say nineteen fifty. I would have taken that every day of the week three years ago. But now. Now, yeah, I'm looking to you know two, three, two, four type levels to be as attractive as that kind of two yeah. level back three years ago. How are you viewing things? Well, it, and again, it 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 requires focusing on making you know, making sure that the assets have strength. And so we've never changed our standards in terms of what we've invested into. It's it's what that's how we've had the success we've had. We started this company as I said 19 years ago, um, and and we've always had a focus on quality and. And so that hasn't changed. Now, what I will say is that the streaming as a source of financing has dramatically grown. And so as as we've had success, of course, that's brought in competition, but it's also dramatically increased the number of companies out there that are looking at streaming as a source of, of equity capital to help them fund their growth on a go-forward basis. Well, and so we've never had more companies in, in, in the queue waiting for uh, streams coming forward. Got 17 assets that we're looking at right now yeah. as potential future partners in terms of going forward that we're going through the technical due diligence and, and the project due diligence to make sure it's so so I think that's what's happened in the last three years is that the the markets aren't supporting, especially the the mid-tier and smaller mining companies out there, not a lot of equity support. The shares aren't performing well. And so what that does is gives us an opportunity to come in and provide a much more attractive source of capital for these companies Right. So we're busy. I bet, I bet you are. You, know, you mentioned this of 2004 coming up with, I think it was uh, Wheaton River and, and that Silver Silver doing, right. their, doing their thing. Um, so that was new then. That was innovative then. Uh -huh. Streaming is now kind of mainstream, but it still hasn't, isn't a big, a big chunk of the kind of equity debt portion of the way that companies look to raise money. Why should they? What are the advantages to the company of doing streaming, for instance? Not, so keep royalties separate. Well, if you're a copper mining company, um, you know, uh, like we, we've had numerous contracts with Zencore. Nobody invests in Zencore for their byproduct silver production or gold production. There uh, are three contracts with Fale out of Brazil. Nobody buys Fale because they're interested in the gold production from their copper mines or their nickel mines or even cobalt. Actually, that's not what we invest in the Fale for. So those are non-core assets. That, that byproduct metal that comes out of these copper mines, nickel mines, lead zinc mines, that's non-core uh, it's a non-core asset. And so any company, when it needs to raise capital, it doesn't need to raise capital, it doesn't need to talk to us, but if it needs to raise capital, if it needs access to capital to fund its growth, one of the first things they should do is look at their existing portfolio and say, is there anything non-core here that we can crystallize the value of and so we can focus back into our core franchise? 
And so that's that's the whole concept. Glencore, one of the largest companies in the world. Multiple streams, Glencore. Uh, Ballet, whoa, one of the largest companies in the world. Because they don't, the gold isn't important to them. And so when it is important to us, it's important to our shareholders. And one of the beauties of the streaming model is that the correlation, the connection between gold and copper in a copper mine, the connection between silver and lead zinc in a lead zinc mine is very strong. So we don't have to be there as operators because we know that as they mine the copper and the lead and the zinc and the nickel, they'll also be mining the precious metals. It comes out um, comes out in the equation at a wash. And so, so the risk from our perspective is very low because we know that they're going to be motivated to produce as much copper as they can on a go-forward basis, and we get the benefit of that. Right. Also, why people like Bali and Glencore, who have decent balance sheets and can raise cheap capital if they want to, or indeed, you know, are sitting on a bunch of cash as well, would would come to you, like you know, yeah. as they kind of. I get with some companies who are perhaps a little cash constrained. They 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 want they kind of dilute to restore. Yeah. But for big big companies like that, why why go with you? Why? Well, and then we haven't seen anything from them for a long time now. It's right. probably been five or six years since we've done anything with those big companies, mainly because they now are very strong balance sheets, but they haven't always had strong. Right. She's out of the Yeah. So you have to be. You have okay. to have a company that's got capacity to act when the when the, when the moment we're at the right moment. And that's what I think we had it was from 2013 to 2018. There was a whole bunch of over-levered companies that had too much debt and they needed to get it off their books. And that's when they did the sell off non-core assets to the streaming companies. And so that's where we got access to those fair contracts. If a company has strong internal cash flow, it really doesn't need the outside capital to fund its growth. It just reinvests that internal cash flow. So that's why currently, if you look at the last two and a half years, the 10 deals that we've done in the last two and a half years, they're all mid-tier and, and junior companies. A lot of them single asset companies. They've only got one asset they're building going forward. So they don't have the same access to that operating cash flow. We don't usually compete against debt. What we compete against is the equity piece. Yeah. You can never fund it entirely from a bank. A bank will want an equity contribution. Each of them's capital going in. The lenders will always want an equity contribution. The equity contribution usually has to come from either issuing shares or streaming. Mm-hmm. Currently, streaming is much more attractive as a source of capital. The cost of capital from streaming is way more attractive than issuing shares, mainly because the shares, again, are so depressed right now. The mining industry hasn't, uh, hasn't you know, it's, it's suffered for variable valuations. And that keeps us very busy. Every time we announce a new deal, we get five more companies come through the door wanting to do deals. We kind of sort through them pretty quickly and now down to one or two. But, uh, you know, we, as said, right now, we've got 17 different coaches we're looking at at various stages of due diligence. Right. And I guess the, the, the killer and the kind of the value destroyer in this sector has traditionally been time. Yeah. Right. Costs and time. <laughs> Inevitable. Yeah. Well, costs come with, come with that yeah. time, right? Yeah. And, and the cost will cost that capital. So for, for companies, obviously, they're very kind of conscious of that. But for you, likewise, if I look again, coming back to this, a tumultuous time we've all been through who has affected your thinking and your behaviors and your allocation of capital right jurisdictional risk that's been very very prevalent in conversations along with esg and lots of other things right because we've seen south america and this kind of social on um, social unrest we've seen countries like you know chile going mm-hmm. through uh, changes in constitution we've seen canada even you know just these little friends up north who are you know struggling with kind of first nations issues takes longer now to months get into production. You, I guess you're conscious of that. Does that affect your deal structure? Well, typically we don't invest the walk of our capital and doesn't wait until the permits is received and jury level structure, right? And so 
So a lot of our more recent transactions, we do have what we call an early deposit, which is 10 to 15% of the total screen. And we'll push in up front to help them get over that final hurdle to get that permanent place. And yes, we have that. Time is one of the biggest challenges we have. It takes longer to get permits than ever before. Um, but if we choose wisely, that also gives us a great opportunity. And, and I will tell you that any of the money that we put in at the early deposit, we get a much higher rate of return on that investment than we do in the construction cost awesome. because the risk is higher. And so when we value it, when we value the original transaction, it'll have a higher discount rate applied into it to reflect that higher risk and stuff. So we're well compensated for that risk. And it's only about 10 to 15% of the total stream. And so it opens up a lot of opportunities for us because that's the point in time that these companies have no access to any other source of capital. They can't access debt they don't even, because they don't have that permit in place. You won't be able to do that, right? And so, so we do take a wee bit of permitting risk, but it's not significant in, in, in the overall scheme of things. Uh, the transaction we, we announced just uh, four weeks ago with Illumina Copper on the, on the Congrego project down in, in Ecuador, $300 million deal. We supply $48 million to help them purchase surface rights and finish off the feasibility study, get the permits in place, and then the remaining $252 million will be drip-fed over the construction period going forward. It's a good example of the opportunity we have for us. By 2030, Fulgrego should be delivering 25,000 ounces a year for us. It's a, you know, the other beauty of us investing into the base metal space, base metal mines are typically more capital intensive, which means they need much bigger reserve and resource base than a normal precious metals mine. And so we have 60 years of reserves and resources. Um, and what, what's particularly amazing about that is that earlier this year, we just, uh, we, we, we just reached equilibrium. Right. We, we, we've invested just over $10 billion into the mining industry. Earlier this year, our cumulative cash flows just surpassed $10 billion. And so we're now net positive. And we still have 60 years of reserves and resources in front of Is that concerning? Is that front end? Well, reserves are in the front end. Yeah, right. reserves are front end. It's gone. It has an implied over time. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Right. It's the need. So it's only wide to go down, but. Just want to talk about intersectional risk as well. Ian says, like, so did you guys go over, was it Rio 2? Yes, that's right. Right, okay. The I mean, just again, does that inform your decision making? Does it, you know, do you factor, I know you said, okay, we factor the risk component in at the front, right. so it, we, we do okay, right. don't worry about it. Yeah. But when moments like that happen where you kind of got, okay. you know, changing your, it's changing your, it's yeah. changing your, it's changing your, it's impacted by COVID. Yeah, so the permitting process for Phoenix was delayed. Yeah, and didn't get processed through. And then they had an election. There was a change in government, yeah. and the new government that came in rejected eight out of ten different applications for mining down in Chile. This so is Chile, which is supposed to be one of the friendliest countries to mining, and has been a Chile is the biggest portion of yeah, exactly. And 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 mining is the biggest portion of the GDP in Chile. There's, there's some good wine, but that's about it. Maybe a little bit of tourism. But really, mining is core to it. So to have a new government come in and reject eight out of ten permits, and unfortunately, Phoenix was one of them. Yeah. And so um, for now, we have seen, yeah, for now, exactly, right? Now, Phoenix is working its way back through the process. A bunch of those permits have since been uh, resubmitted and approved. Phoenix has ensured up far off of that. And so Rio 2 continues to push that forward. It was a bit of a, you know, a, a shock to Chile. But it, you know, and the fact that the constitutional, uh, the, the revised constitutional approach was so strongly rejected by the current population, I think is such a strong signal back to the, uh, to the, to the new government that they have to work with, you know, with, with, uh, industry, uh, yeah, whichever pays. Yeah. I, 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 
it's money, right? There, there are moments like that, but yep. the bumps in these houses. Best description I've always heard is there's a pendulum, and sometimes it swings to the left, and sometimes it swings to the right. And you have to make sure you invest into it. It's one of the key reasons why we look for high-margin projects is because if there's increases in taxes or royalties or fees or, or stuff like that, we want to make sure that that asset still has the capacity to be profitable for all the stakeholders, even though you've got a government that's zeroing ever more taxes. Right. So that's really one of the driving reasons as to why we focus in first and second quarter. Absolutely. And plus, I just want to say, Rita, good project, good, good yeah. CEO. I like that. Yeah. Um, okay. Let, let's do, let's talk. I know you're not CFO, but I want to kind of do a few more numbers <laughs> in this conversation. All right. Uh, as a CEO, I've probably had to look at the occasional financial <laughs> statement. So, uh, <laughs> okay. um, for the first of all, in terms of your um, percentage of the market that you, because I'm looking at this space, I'd like to say, you know, I think Franco went first with their royalty back in 1986. You guys went 2004 with the streaming, and there's been a bunch of people come and go, a few acquisitions last year as well. It, yeah. Normal, you know, run of the mill stuff. Right. Um, but nevertheless, still a small space. And I, as I mentioned earlier, it's royalties and streaming as a percentage of the total of the funds raised in mining is still relatively small. So I'm interested in growth. What percentage of the market do you own in the moment in terms of the royalty streaming or streaming as, as a whole? Uh, well, you look at 2020. Yeah, if you look at market cap, um, you know, um, Freight was definitely got a higher market cap than us, um, mm. but not by much. And we're the second largest. And so I would, I would say if you sum about all the companies, we probably got about, from a market cap perspective, somewhere around 30%. Right. If I sent to the total, somewhere in that range, maybe even as high as 40 is Franklin's. 50 so yeah so anyways um you know in that range world gold is also another uh, sort of senior player and there's a whole bunch of juniors out there right the juniors don't trade as high because a lot of those deals that they did they had to modify the structure in order to get their foot in the door so the market's pretty intelligent in terms of recognizing that their their screen is just as good as a good old meeting screen right meeting screens are good and strong life of mine and exposure uh being solid uh security uh and, and references so low uh, so yeah, it's um, you know that's the, the space. Now I will point out that that those traditional royalty companies like Franco and Whirlpool are now streaming. It's the bulk of their revenue comes from streams, and so that's one of the key things is that the success of our business model has has breadth as competition, and in fact, it's converted the royalty companies to streaming companies. So right, I, I, I better explain. To you, there's a big audience that sort of not quite as okay with some of the terminology right say royalty is streaming cash and physical so yeah exactly it's probably the best way to describe it royalty is a registration on land typically every jurisdiction is different on the road, but in the general sense of royalty is just registration on land which means you don't have a good strong relationship it's not a partnership so to speak and, and i i came from the operating space i've operated i've built and operated worldwide i have royalties and those things and I, I always hated the phone calls from the royalty guys because all I wanted was checks, cash, and they'd send in an order once a year to make sure that I wasn't messing around with it. Right? It was always it's a painful relationship. Mm. Streaming is different. Streaming, especially the way we we focus on partnerships, right? Mm. It's it's nice they want us up front when we deliver that cash up front, but after that we're getting our metal at a great discount to the swap price, and so so we better find a way to sort of add some value to keep that a positive relationship relationship going forward. So, so a stream is a contractual partnership. It's a relationship, and we get metal deliveries. And so because we get a share of the metal and it comes in metal form, we get gold and silver credits to get this. Okay, okay. this all comes through that. I can I know. Well, it was, it's all in the hotel room. Right. right. <laughs> oh, hold on. We don't have a hotel here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, no, we, we, we don't hold gold and silver. When it comes in, 
uh, we affected, we put it back into the market. So what we deliver to our shareholders, our promise to our shareholders is profitable precious metals production. So, so you know, we put a lot of focus on that uh, in terms of not holding it, not diversifying. When you invest into wheat, and what you get is access to profit. Mm-hmm. Half of precious metal production. Do you have some flexibility over the contract? You talk, you talk about discounts, but you can also do it as a percentage to the spot price of the, on the day, right? Presumably, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's the other advantage with streams is that is that we do have that residual production payment, and, and the reason we structured that is that when we created this company uh, back in two thousand and four, we recognized that it, there there there's always a base cost to producing this non-core byproduct metal, but it's not that high. Because generally, all the cost is focused on recovering the copper, the lead, zinc, nickel, or if you're getting silver from a gold mine, like gold, right? And and the dollar-core byproducts sort of come along for the ride. And so there's not a lot of direct real cost to producing that. And that's why we have that base production cost, a production gain on a per basis. So, so you know, we, we sign a contract with well, give the the biggest asset, of course, is Sonobo down in Brazil. Um we get 75% of the gold. So every time uh, Vale sends a shipment of copper concentrates to a copper smelter, they smelt that copper, the gold comes out. If if Vale gets 10,000 ounces of gold, they give us 7,500 ounces of gold. And when they give that to us, we pay them 400 and some odd dollars on a per ounce basis going forward. And then we turn around and sell our spot market at 2,000. So our, consistent, our margins have consistently been between 70 to 80%. Um, and it's it's good strong structure that goes forward. The one thing that makes us a little bit unique in the space is that we put a lot of effort into trying to support we have co-funding community programs, which royalty companies never heard before. We uh, we have technical ambassador programs where we supply technical expertise to try and help them. We have this overlying mantra: the stronger our partners are, the stronger we are. And what that does is generates return customers. Out of the last ten transactions we've done, seven of them have been with people or companies and we've done previous transactions. Return customers, repeat customers. Our company is a service company. It's not a mining company. We provide a service to the mining industry. We take production risk, but we're a service company. The the key uh, holy grail of the service industry is a return customer, a repeat customer. Yeah. And and we're getting repeat customers. And I think that's one of the things that makes Wheaton very unique. We've been busy in this space in the last two and a half years, 10 transactions. That's more than Everyone else in the space combined. Right. So, was was true of, of all sectors. I think that's a good point to make. Actually, you know, you know that enduring relationship. Yeah. Once from a valley or a Glencore, it's like you help them gather, right? Um, it, let's talk about how, and I do want to come back to the growth. Thing. I'm determined to get the growth thing like like fully nailed, but it yeah. just made me think a little bit there um, with regards to how people should value. If, if I'm looking, if I'm a chartist, I I'm looking at a share price and it's bouncing around. I always kind of thought royalty streaming is kind of immune from the economy because you've got your margins things to obviously relative for the gold, gold price may be or whatever right. deal you've structured. You should be kind of immune to the bulk of what's happening out in the economy. Um, but the, you've had to, the 2013, 14, you'd like everyone else had a little, a little dip there. You're a small company then, but admittedly, but right. now you're a big boy, yep. right? You had Broad a little dip in 2022 like everyone else, yep. right? Yep. So, so people aren't valuing you purely on a kind of cash generative basis, clearly, despite you clearing out the balance sheet and doing all that good stuff with, I think, it acquisitions. So how does, how does it, it's the exposure of precious metals. The fact that we've got 60 years of reserves of resources. And, and, you know, I think when it comes to precious metals and, and specifically gold, which have the bulk of the value in the precious metal space, 
step back and look at what it was trading at in the year 2000. Then what we've seen is over 20 years now, a continuous general trend up with a little short-term volatility. You get the occasional war, you get the occasional financial crisis in between. That's always going to be some volatility. But you have to step back and look at it. We've got this consistent uptrend that has been going. We're now talking about, you know, we're near record levels in terms of gold price, but it feels like a foundation, feels like a base, not a lot of strength below that. This is this has got some strength behind it right now. Ten years ago, we had gold prices this high, and everyone thought, wow, this is yeah, a bit frothy. <laughs> yeah, right? It didn't last very long. Um, now we're looking at it as being, you know, you know, near a basement, a solid foundation and, and, and expectations are prices to go much higher. And when you look around the world, it's easy to understand that. It's easy to support that. And so we just see all sorts of opportunity in the space. It's, uh, it, it, so investing into us is a, a great way to not only get exposure to the commodity price, right? Which is, you know, the risk profile kind of fits that. But what we provide is the upside of exploration success, of expansion potential. And so there's three factors that, that will deliver returns for our shareholders. One of the most astounding well, little tidbits of information is that our partners have essentially discovered every for every ounce we've mined over the last 20 years or 19 years, the exploration has replaced it. So our mines are patched. So far, they have replaced every ounce that's been mined or closer to replaced every ounce that's ever been mined. And so, you know, if we can keep on being that and delivering that going forward, that's what we're delivering to shareholders. So there's three different ways they'll win. Exposure to profitable exposure to the commodity price, levered exposure because of our production payment, uh, growth potential of these assets, and both on the expiration side, so longer mine lives, but also expansion potential in terms of moving some of that expiration success forward and, and, and growing the lines from a capacity perspective. And so we deliver all of that. Are you a fan of sticking to knitting, or do you think that, because if I look at the growth profile, you're North America, South America, mm-hmm. you have precious metal byproducts, you know what you're doing. Yeah. I've got a couple of assets in Spain, I think, and one of them, maybe Finland. But Portugal. Yeah. Portugal is yeah. it, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is, you know, you, you can do two things. You can go geographic expansion, Western Australia seems to be quite, quite popular for gold. Yeah. Um, You've got, um, and obviously West Africa type, type, type stories, um, or you can branch out into other commodities, yeah. other metals. So where, where are you at? It's like, say, 20 million is, is, a, is a big number. <laughs> 20 billion. 20, <laughs> that'd be nice. Uh, 20, bi- 20 billion is a big number, um, but you, you can do more. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're very busy. Okay, so look, look at those three yeah. colors. Um, so as the name implies, we're only focused on precious metals. And, and a lot of our peers have exposure to oil and gas and iron ore and copper. I can understand the copper a bit, but iron ore and oil and gas, it doesn't doesn't fit the model. And and they kind of talk about the arbitrage valuation that they deliver, but it's not real value back. Our focus is delivering a clean, pure product to our shareholders. That is precious metal, profitable precious metals production, high margin, low risk precious metals production. When it comes to diversity, I hear people argue, oh, I'll diversify and get broader exposure and all that. And as soon as I diversify wheat and if I, if I was to go out and like explore diversifying, I'm forcing every single one of my shareholders to diversify with me. And I don't really think that's the right thing to do. I think the investor should be determining what kind of a uh, diverse mix of exposure that they want. And so so our focus is purely brushes hat on a go-forward basis. 
In terms of jurisdiction, and as you can imagine, a 60-year reserve and resource life, political risk is very important to us. We want to be there to these months for a very long time. There's not a lot of countries in the world that have had stable governments for 60 years, right? And so it is something that is important. Now, there are ways that we can sort of protect ourselves and measure that risk, but the best thing to do is just avoid uh, those kind of jurisdictions and, and look at places where we have strong, stable environments and confidence and comparability to protect and so So, um, you know, uh, we have looked in Australia. It's a great country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have looked in Asia. We've looked in Africa. We've, we've put in proposals there. But it's clear that when we value an asset, we factor in all the different risks, including political risk. And it all has an impact on how we value our cost, you know, the expected return we want on this. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that the way we value political risk makes us uncompetitive compared to our peers. Right. So we're probably a little bit conservative on that front. Right. I'm not unhappy with that. Right. You know, here's the key thing. We're able to put our money back into the ground to continue growing the company. Um, if we can't, we just increase the dividend. And the dividend has been growing on a very consistent basis in our company and will continue to grow all the time. That's about, the yield is low because our share price is nice and high. It's kind of about one and a half percent. And it's uh, 15 cents per share per quarter. And, uh, and it's, you know, we've had a good strong progressive growth in that over the, over the last many, many years. And we'll continue to teach us. We don't. Um, defensively about uh, eight years ago, we did. But not a lot. Uh, our preference is to come up with a good, sustainable, consistent dividend. It's a right over here. It's all focus. Okay. Okay. Well, look, Randy, good story, man. Really nice to meet you. Really enjoyed this. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see you again and stay in touch, okay? Fantastic. Sounds good.